Welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Good morning and welcome to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. My name is Derek Star Redwine. I'm the interim pastor here. A special welcome to any visitors who are here today with us, whether in person here in the sanctuary or listening on the radio or via Zoom. We are different because you are here and for that we give God thanks and praise. For those who are here today in the sanctuary, thank you for being here. It is so good to preach to faces and not empty pews, so thank you for being here. And thank you also for following the COVID-19 protocols we have in place. Also want to thank guest organist Sharon Freude. Thanks for being here and sharing your gifts and music with us today. We are thankful that you are able to do that. Next Sunday, September 6th, will be our last 10 a.m. worship service for the summer. The next Sunday, Sunday, September 13th, we'll start back up with worship at 11 a.m. The Saturday before that, the American Red Cross will be hosting a blood drive here in the church in the basement from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. I encourage you, if you are able, to register to give blood at that time. A few worship notes to pass along as we learn to worship with these new protocols in place. Since there's no congregational singing today, please remain seated for all of the hymns. And after worship, it's a beautiful day. I encourage you to make your way to the portico where you can greet and talk and fellowship with one another and with me as well. Look forward to seeing you there after worship. But for now, let us continue our worship of God with a prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we gather together to worship you, to offer you our thanks and our praise, and to proclaim together your goodness and mercy 
God of compassion, meet us here. Breathe your word into our souls. Engrave your covenant love upon our hearts. Teach us faithfulness and compassion so our lives would reflect your love and justice to the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We gather to glorify God, to worship our Lord with gladness. We are his people. Our Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Please stand with me in body or spirit as we call ourselves to worship as printed in the bulletin. Listen, Jesus is calling. Can you hear it? Jesus is calling us to turn away from self-interest, to put down the things that distract us, and take up our cross and follow. Listen, Jesus is calling. Can you hear it? We hear his voice, and we are eager to follow. Let us worship God. Once again, welcome to the live broadcast of a service for the worship of God, which is coming to you from the sanctuary of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church at 1627 Monument Avenue in Richmond, Virginia. This is the 97th year of radio ministry at Grace Covenant, and today's broadcast is number 4,954. This morning's sermon, entitled Following, will be delivered by Rev. Derek Starr Redwine, our interim pastor. Assisting in the service today are Sharon Freuda, guest organist, Chase Peak, baritone soloist, and Rusty Stadler, liturgist. Our opening hymn is Crown Him with Many Crowns, verses 1, 2, and 4, which is number 213 in the hymn book.
I forgot to make a special appeal to those worshiping at home or in your cars this morning. Please sing twice as loud as you normally do to help us hear, hear your voice and sense your presence with us today. God is love. This certainty is what gives us hope. It's what gives me hope for our world, for our city, and for our lives. God is love, which is why confession in the end is a gift. Confession is a gift to us because it turns us away from the illusion, from the deception that we can save ourselves alone. Confession reorients us to the one who loves us and saves us. So in humility and in faith, let us together confess our need for God's redeeming grace. Let us pray. Merciful God, you call us to follow, to turn away from our own selfish interests and to take up our cross and follow after you, even if the path is difficult to see or is heading in a direction we would never have chosen for ourselves. Forgive us for being so quick to question and so hesitant to follow. Help us to see with the eyes of faith rather from our own human point of view. Teach us to follow without fear, knowing that you are always with us, leading the way. Amen. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. Children of God, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Please stand.
Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our first New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is teaching us what Christian love is all about. Listen now to God's word for you and for me. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord.
That baby was listening. <laughs> it's awesome. Our second scripture reading today is a gospel reading from the Gospel of Matthew, verses 21 through 28, a very, very familiar passage, one that is always good for us to hear. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming 
in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. In case you missed it, I'm not sure how you can, a new era of CEO and corporate activism is in full swing. One could argue this new era of corporate activism began in 2014 or so, when Apple CEO Tim Cook publicly supported gay rights, and then CEO Howard Schultz of Starbucks wrote an open letter about race. The trend continued when the CEOs of Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A dipped their feet into the political waters, and Nike CEO Mark Parker decided to feature ads with controversial football player Colin Kaepernick. This new wave of corporate activism has only intensified with growing corporate support of Black Lives Matter and brands like Goya and WWE openly supporting our president. Corporate leaders who have historically stayed silent on politics and policy are speaking out. Their statements, to be fair, are directed primarily at consumers, to be sure, but they are also intended to be heard by their employees, and the results, as we know from experience, have been really mixed. Levi Strauss CEO Chip Berg anticipated impassioned responses when he made a donation of $1 million towards preventing gun violence. I knew, he writes, I knew I was going to get a lot of hate mail. I knew I was going to get threats. I knew my family was going to get threats. And all of that has happened. But somebody's got to have the courage to step up and say something needs to be done. Some angry emails Berg received came from his own employees who interpreted the donation as hostile towards gun ownership. Berg, an Army veteran, says it was not. He also received support from employees whose children were caught up in lockdowns at local schools. Either way, Berg has no regrets. In today's hyper-partisan, caustic environment, Berg believes employees want to know where their leaders stand, and strong values, strong principles are increasingly part of what workers look for in their employer. This growing trend, whether you like it or not, indicates that CEOs and corporations are coming to terms with the fact that as we become more polarized as a society, it's really getting difficult to occupy the middle ground on any issue without being drawn into the fight. Churches, of course, are finding the same thing to be true. As our civil and religious discourse becomes more caustic and partisan, churches and their parishioners and their pastors are struggling with how much of their political selves they should bring into church and how much of their Christian identity they should take out into the public sphere. Christians of every tradition are trying to figure out the right relationship between their identity as disciples and of citizens. Tim Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, has seen this play out in his own congregation as he watches members struggle with loving and serving and caring for those with whom they disagree strongly on issues of faith, policy, and practice. What should the role of Christians in politics be, Keller writes? More people than ever are asking that question. 
Christians cannot pretend they can transcend politics and simply preach the gospel. He writes, those who avoid all political discussions and engagement are essentially casting a vote for the social status quo. American churches in the early 19th century that did not speak out against slavery because that was what we would now call getting political were actually supporting slavery by doing so. He ends with, to not be political is to be political. Now, when pastors of any tradition make this claim that politics and faith really can't be separated, they often hear, I often hear, about the separation of church and state, the foundational concept embedded in the First Amendment. And I get it. But it's important to remember that the separation of church and state was meant to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. The First Amendment does not prohibit Christians from being involved in the functioning of the state. Our religion can be freely exercised, which is a very good thing because it's nearly impossible to follow Christ's commands, to love the poor, to care for the widows and orphans, to love our enemies, and to be stewards of God's creation without somewhat being drawn into politics. So how do we do it? How do we be political and faithful? What is more important to us as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? Is it our private piety and beliefs or our public politics and practice? What is more essential in a life of discipleship? Is it our personal relationship with Jesus or our relationship with the world God so loves? What should pastors like me talk about from the pulpit? And what should strictly be off limits? These are all really good questions. And they are questions I believe today's passage from the Gospel of Matthew helps us answer. The setting for today's lesson follows Peter's proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one. A claim that inspires Jesus in the moment to call Peter the rock on which God would build up the church. This is a high water moment for Peter. A moment that has him feeling really, really good. So good that he feels emboldened, empowered to offer Jesus, his Lord and Savior, a little friendly correction. Immediately after praising Peter for his faith in him, Jesus starts talking about his need of suffering and dying and rising again. Shocked by Jesus' dark and frankly depressing words, Peter reminds Jesus, he pulls him aside and reminds him that he is blessed by God which means a life of suffering and death need not be in the cards for him, and if possible, hopefully not his followers as well. But as quickly as Peter is lifted up by Christ, Jesus has no trouble putting him back down with this swift and startling rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. I kind of feel bad for Peter here. He's only trying to find a way to avoid the path that Jesus has set before him. And who can blame him, really? It's only human to want to be above the ordinary, to want to avoid suffering, to want to be on the winning side. 
But as we were reminded when Jesus faced these same temptations in the desert in his confrontation with the devil, avoiding suffering and struggle simply is not the way of Christ. The devil may want to lift us up away from the realities of life, away from others, but God wants us to go back down, to lead us down into the muck and the mess and the absolute beauty that is human existence. Discipleship doesn't draw us away from confusion and conflict. It draws us down into it to offer a word of hope and love and peace. A few years ago, Fred Gazer, an Old Testament scholar at Luther Theological Seminary, did an informal survey of sorts of church mission statements. He looked up at websites to see what churches were saying about themselves, and what he found there astonished him. Churches generally described their missions in terms of being warm and welcoming. That's a good thing. They wrote of their commitment to serve Jesus by serving others. Another good thing. They described their education programs, their fellowship, and their worship, and they often declared themselves to be committed to inspiring preaching and teaching. But not a single church website mentioned the call to suffer in Jesus' name. All the mission statements lifted people up while Christ invites us to follow him down. If any want to become my followers, he says, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who want to lose their life for my sake, they'll find it. This is the path of discipleship. And within these three commands to deny, pick up, and follow, I think we are given clues, hints, on how our private personal faith needs to relate with our public political life. The first clue lies in the command to deny yourself. To deny oneself, to literally turn away from oneself, is to put yourself, I think, in a proper relationship with Jesus. It's a reorientation, not in front of Jesus, not even beside Jesus, but behind him, following him wherever he may go. When Peter refuses to accept the claim that Jesus is to be a suffering Messiah, Jesus tells him to get back behind him. As such, there's this deeply private and personal aspect to denial of self. For it requires us to set aside time in our prayer life to reflect on what in our lives we have yet to subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is much of the work of meditation in prayer, an honest accounting of where we are not yet following Christ. To deny oneself is a very personal, private thing. And yet, this, this call to turn away from oneself also has a very public quality to it. The only way we can possibly love others in the climate we find ourselves in the only way we can love people as Christ commands us to love is to be humble and curious and open, not self-confident, self-righteous, and closed off. In an increasingly partisan world, we have come to see our politics as a way to lift ourselves up, to save ourselves, 
when our faith demands that our politics are seen as a tangible way to show the love and mercy of God to all people. The second clue on how our private, personal faith should relate with our public, communal life is in the second command to pick up our cross. Traditionally, the church has taken a passive view, a passive understanding of this command. To pick up one's cross for much of church history has meant to bear one's unique troubles. Whatever lot you have been given, it is yours alone to carry. We all have a special trouble, and we can't run from it as fast as we try. We have to, at some level, accept our life, our person, our situation as it is. We have to be honest before we can follow. Now, while this viewpoint has empowered people of faith to face their addictions, to come to terms with their limitations, and to own the consequences of their choices, this passive view has also been used to justify injustice by arguing that whatever struggle you have, it's a struggle given to you by God. If you're a slave, that's your lot. If you're poor, do the best you can. This line of reasoning is one reason the active view, a more active view of this command has begun to gain greater consideration in theological circles. In the active view of the command to pick up one's cross, there's this idea of being countercultural, this idea of being a political pacifist, this idea of being a nonviolent, humble disciple of Christ, which right now would look like a salmon swimming upstream. To pick up your cross and carry it means letting your actions speak to the vitality and vibrancy of your faith. Now, it's my interpretation that for much of church history, churches have swung from one extreme to the other in their interpretation of these two commands, either making them all about a public witness or all about personal salvation. But I think it's time for us to step away from this dualistic viewpoint, this dualistic mindset, and acknowledge that it's not either or, it is both and. These two commands to deny oneself and to pick up your cross remind us that Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants our private piety and our public life. He wants our religious identity and our political one as well. He wants whatever we think is going to save us. We are his, and we follow him, not just in the realms of prayer, worship, and devotion. We follow him in the ballot box, the public sphere, and the corporate boardroom. To be God's social justice warrior, you have to have a personal relationship with Christ. And to have an evangelical heart, you have to care about the world. Any attempt to prioritize one aspect of our faith over and against another aspect leads to us losing our life, not finding it. I think we are all a lot more like Peter, myself included, than we like to admit. We all want to hedge our bets to keep our options open. We think, as Peter does, that there might just be another way, an easier way, a better way to find the life we want. Surely there's a way to security and to peace and to happiness that doesn't involve us losing our lives, giving it all over to Jesus. Thankfully, Christ loves us enough to speak 
a hard word to us and to Peter by reminding us that every faithful follower who gets it, like Peter, can quickly lose their way when they, when we, live as if there are other ways to life than the way Christ puts before us. Deny yourself in private and in public, he says. Pick up your cross in private and in public and follow me in private and in public. Our life is in Christ's hands, all of it, the religious and the political, the private and the public. They both need to be held up to the teachings of Jesus. They both need to be subject, made subject to his will, his grace. It saddens me how much politics has become about salvation and separation instead of about compassion and sacrifice. Because I believe if we find the courage as people, as a community, as a nation to, to give it all up, to lay it all before Christ, before God, if we discard this imaginary line between our private faith and our public life, I believe we will discover the wonderfully good news that evangelical proclamation and social justice are two sides of the same coin. Partisanship has absolutely no place in church life. Because partisanship claims that only one party, one idea, one platform can save us. But being political, being concerned about the world, being a person of faith in the public sphere, as messy as that can be at times, all that is essential to a life of faith because it's a natural consequence of an active and vibrant relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Humility before Christ, I believe, gives us humility before others, which transforms politics from a dirty word into a shared platform where we can express God's love. Politics, after all, is simply what love's look, love looks like in the public sphere. And love is what claims us, love is what sustains us, and love is what causes us to follow Christ to the cross and in time to the empty tomb. Prayer and protest, worship and service, devotion and generosity, holiness and mercy, conviction and compassion. Jesus wants it all. Alleluia and amen. You are listening to the live broadcast of a worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. You have just heard this morning's sermon entitled Following, which was delivered by Reverend Derek Starr Redwine, our interim pastor. Our second hymn is Jesus, I My Cross Have Taken, verses 1, 3, and 4, which is number 279 in the hymn book.
Please stand and join with me as we affirm that which we believe as we recite the affirmation of faith as printed in the bulletin. This we have come to know. This is what we have heard. Our God is the everlasting God, creator of heaven and earth, who does not grow weary or faint, whose wisdom is unsearchable, who gives energy to the meek and strength to those who have none. Even youths shall faint and grow weary, young athletes shall fall exhausted, but those who love the Lord and put their trust in God shall renew their strength. They shall soar with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As we gather together to offer prayers for our church family, for the city, and for the world, I want to lift up two folks in the church that I'd ask you to pray for this week. Carl, Cian continues to need your prayers as he recovers from surgery. It's an up and down process. Carl is fighting, but he needs all the support and love he can get from us. So please keep Carl in your prayers. Also ask you to pray for the Anderson family, children, parents, grandparents who are all in quarantine following a positive COVID diagnosis. So keep them in your prayers as they navigate quarantine with three generations and school supposed to start. So peace to them. Let us now offer our prayers to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, in love you created all of us, and in love you sustain us day after day. So it's with confidence now that we bring our prayers to you, knowing you hear us and will respond. God, we pray for the world around us, for the many who continue to suffer and call out for help, for those caught up in violence and political uprisings, for those picking up the pieces after a natural disaster, for those desperate to find work to support their families. God, we also pray for family and friends who are struggling, for those suffering physically or emotionally, for those working to overcome a mental illness, for those facing challenges at home or at work, for those grieving the death of a loved one. God of mercy, you have called us to pray for our enemies, to bless rather than to curse those who deliberately seek to harm us or those with whom we strongly disagree. So God, we ask you to bless them. Open our hearts that we might see them as you do and be able to respond to them with your love. God, we pray also for your church here and around the world that it would be a living demonstration of your coming kingdom offering hospitality to all, ready to help in times of need, showing love to friends and enemies alike, and seeking to live in peace with all. God, we praise you for your faithfulness towards us, for your faithful love, and for the mercy you have shown us. Open our eyes, O God, to recognize your presence in our lives. Give us grace to hear your call and courage to follow without hesitation, knowing that your way is the only way that leads to life. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we offer this prayer, the silent prayers of our hearts, and the prayer Jesus taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory now. As we come to the part in worship now, when we consider all that we have to give in response to all that God has given us, please note that ushers will not come around today and collect your offerings. Offering plates are in the back of the sanctuary here in the narthex, or you can support the ministry and mission of the church through giving online. We are also continuing to collect pledges for the annual Lowe's and Fishes Fund Drive. Please consider giving to this vital ministry of Grace Covenant. More information on how to give can be found in your bulletin. Thank you for all the ways you give.
pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for all that you have given us, our personal interests, our passions, our talents, our gifts. We are thankful for all that you have shared with us. Take this portion of which we give back to you, part of ourselves, part of our resources, and use it to make this world look more and more like your kingdom. Transform these gifts and our lives into vessels of your mercy and your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is Lift High the Cross, verses 1 and 4, which is number 371 in the Presbyterian Hymnal. now in peace to love and serve the Lord. And as you go, may the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you this day and every day to come. Amen.
For the past hour, you have been listening to the worship service at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. Please join us again next Sunday through our radio ministry or in our sanctuary at 1627 Monument Avenue. Your announcer today has been John Harris, and the engineer was Reagan McCullough. This service streams live and can be accessed through the Grace Covenant website, which is grace-covenant.org. You can also find a recording of last Sunday's service, which, due to technical difficulties, did not make it onto the air. We now return you to Christian Talk Radio on WLES, 590 AM and 97.7 FM.